Previously on Film Code, the drought continues as no one was able to crack Nathan's code word. Oh man, so I was really hoping to uh, <laughs> bounce off of one of these guys' answers. So <laughs> kind of disappointed that they didn't give me anything. Uh, so, uh... <laughs> so the whole point of you going like last or next to last was so you didn't bounce off of I know, it. right? I know, right? But I unfortunately failed to actually research this one. Oh my god. This is like the third week in a row that you don't even I'm research so mine. I'm so it, sorry. I'm so sorry. It's when it's Nick's, when it's Brandon's, <laughs> you're like, I spent hours on this. <laughs> when it's my turn. This week, it's Brandon's turn with a brand new code word. Okay, the code word was pie from the year 2000-2010. Lead actor has heavy rumors circulating. A little extra hint is that it's an emo character and it involved a very cringeworthy dance sequence. Can the drought be stopped? Plus, the guys discuss two movies this week. An early screening of Minari and a look at the new film by Regina King, One Night in Miami. What will the guys think of these two films? Find out all that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. You are now Film Code. Start program. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Film Code. My name is Phoenix Cloud, and I'm joined by our three co-hosts this evening. Hey, it is morning. Uh, first off, <laughs> want to congratulate. Right, want to congratulate Nathan and Nick. The Bills did win their playoff game, so congratulations to you guys. It is a Browns game today, so we're hoping that luck rubs rubs off, rubs off on me. Yeah, but we got to take on the the Super Bowl champion. So, thank you, Phoenix. Thank yeah. you for the. The well regards, you know, this is the biggest Bills win in, in Nick and I's lifetime. So big yeah. time. If you're listening to this episode in the future, hopefully that also rings true and we won the Super Bowl. Speak it into existence. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, okay, appreciate it. this episode comes out, we'll have won the AFC Championship game, hopefully. Well, let's hope that, you know, it's Bills-Browns in the AFC Championship. That would be the dream. Uh, yeah, I, so, can, I can vibe with that. Yeah. So we're also joined by Brandon. Brandon, how the hell are you, man? Man, I'm doing good. It's good to be back. It's good to be doing another review with you guys. Um, we got some pretty good movies to talk about. I uh, kind of enjoyed both movies, so I'm ready to uh, talk about some movies, talk about some cinema. It's good yeah. to be back. The double, uh, double feature. I don't know. Have we ever reviewed two straight movies in one episode? I think we reviewed we three once. straight movies. Oh, that's yeah. right. We did Jingle Jangle and Happy Season. <laughs> How could I and forget? I actually listened to that episode yesterday again. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Nathan's trashing of Jingle Jangle is historic. It is the funniest thing you will ever hear. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> please check out that episode if you haven't had the chance. All right. So like the guy said, we are doing a double feature today. And we are kicking off because we got an early screening 
an early advanced screening of Minari. Minari drops, I believe, in a month or so. Uh, yeah, I think it's like February 11 or something like that. Yeah. So we were we were very happy to get an early screening that we all took advantage of, and it was great. It was great to see uh, you know a movie early for the first time I think ever in film code history. So <laughs> we're really excited about that. So we are going to talk about Minari. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. 야, 뭐라고? Grandma smell? <웃음> 우리 여기 있다가 망할 거야. 애들을 위해서라도 한번더 생각해 볼수 있잖아. 애들도 한 번쯤 아빠가 뭔가 해내는 거 봐야 될거 아니야. <웃음> 할머니는 this will be, however, spoiler-free because, like we said, the movie doesn't drop for another month. We don't want to spoil anything for you guys. So we'll kick off right now just with uh, overall impressions. Nathan, what was your overall impression of Minari? Yeah, and I, I just want to echo again what you said, Phoenix. Like, this is a spoiler-free review. None of us are going to slip up and tell you something that happens that you don't want to hear. Hopefully, you are interested in Minari and you're going to hear overall thoughts without knowing what happens. Or maybe you've never heard of this movie and maybe we can convince you to to check it out or, or maybe not check it out, what, however we're feeling. So, this is spoiler-free. Um, yeah, and let, let's get into it. So, my first impressions, like you said, I was so blessed to, to have him watch this early as well as you guys. So happy that we're able to talk about it a whole month early before it's U.S. wide release. Um, this is getting a lot of buzz for Best Picture. This is getting a lot of buzz for the Oscars. And I think it's well-deserved in the acting categories and the writing categories. Um, I think it may deserve a nom for Best Picture. I'm still on the fence. It depends on how many they nominate. If they want to nominate nine, if they want to nominate six, it depends for me but performance wise i think it's all fantastic um phoenix you and i had a, a conversation before the show talking about steven yun and whether he'll get shut out of the five best actors this year and i don't think that's going to happen but also he doesn't deliver one of the best performances of 2020 <laughs> in in my mind um 
I think Steven Yeun's a, is a great actor. You know, I know him from The Walking Dead. But I personally just don't see anything special with this performance. This is a good actor doing good acting. Um, and other than that, I, I don't know. When you talk about Chadwick Boseman, Gary Oldman, and Anthony Hopkins are all going to be locks. Lock it in, take it to the house to get nominated. And then you got two spots up for grabs. Is, is Steven Young one of those? I mean, maybe. I, I think it would be great for the Oscars to nominate him because of diversity and, and everything like that. But also, I, I just don't think it's one of the strongest performances. Um, his wife, who plays Monica Han Yi-ri, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm sorry if I did not. I think she's the strongest performance of all. Um, I think she's asked to do the most. I think she's asked to be the most emotional. And she was the standout for me. And and this is another fantastic year for actress performances in 2020. I don't know if she's going to get the nomination, but for her sake, I really hope she does. Cause she deserves it. Um, I've been going on for a little bit, so I'd love to hear these guys' take, but I want to start off talking about the performances. Brandon, what about you? Um, for me personally, I overall enjoy this film. I think I might be with Nathan on this one. I think it's best picture worthy. Um, I really hope Steven Yoon is best actor worthy. It depends on who they nominate. Um, I do think Chadwick Boseman deserves best actor for Ma Rainey. But, you know, hoping for the best. But, yeah, overall, Minari it was really good. Um, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get my words without spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. It was really well done. Um, there were some moments where you just, like, you feel hope. There's other moments where you feel, oh, man, I can't believe this happened. But overall, I love the film. And I, like Nathan said, I want to talk about the performances after we get it, after we do the rest of you guys' takes. All right, Nick, what about you? What would you think of Minari? Yeah, I, I kind of had to go a little bit against the grain here against uh, these two guys. I didn't enjoy it as much as I think uh, Nathan and, and Brandon did. I felt that it was slow at times. Um, it was definitely hard to keep my attention during some point of the movie. And this is a movie where you have to pay attention, not only because of what is going on in this story, but also a majority of it is in Korean. Mm. I don't speak Korean. I don't know about you guys. Uh, <laughs> so I couldn't really get on my phone during this film unless I wanted to... Um, you know, learn Korean before before continuing. So, <laughs> sadly for me, it was not um, the same level of enjoyment that these guys said. You know, uh, I am actually going to echo that same sentiment as Nick. I uh, Nick. yeah, I I enjoyed it, but it it is sort of a uh, it, it's it's in my opinion, it's not terribly rewatchable. It feels like a movie that you know, I feel is great for the year. And I think is, is an interesting introspective family story. Uh, but I think it's not, it's not a film I could see myself revisiting often um, just because it moves at such a, a drastically slow pace. And, uh, and there's not much to it other than just this family dynamic. So it felt kind of limited in scope as it, like more limited in scope than I thought it would be. So uh, that's that's the only reason for me. But overall, I thought it was fine. 
I agree with Nathan about the performances. I think uh, Yuri Han is fantastic. I wish, you know, a lot of a lot of the buzz coming into this was uh was for was mostly for Stephen Yoon, and it was interesting to see that like at least for me, almost everybody performed better than Stephen Yoon in my opinion. I uh, I just felt like you know Yuri Han, uh, Alan Kim, even Will Patton, I think were all just standout performances in this. So that's that's just where I stand. There's uh there's a couple of things I want to touch on that that all three of you said. Um, I was remiss to talk about Alan Kim as David, who is uh, for those of you listening, chances are you haven't seen this. He is a eight or nine year old boy in this movie and we are so blessed in today's world to have so many great child actors you know it's hard to have a fantastic child performance because they're so young Um, they probably haven't had a ton of acting um, lessons and things like that obviously it's a lot easier to have a a 20 year old act or a 25 year old act than than an eight-year-old but he really does steal the show it's not like they're going to nominate him for for best actor or anything but as good as Roman Griffin Davis was in Jojo Rabbit, this is similar. It's similar. I don't want to say it's it's the same because Roman Griffin Davis kind of carries Jojo Rabbit a lot. Mm-hmm. He 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 put Scarlett Johansson and and Sam Rockwell and Taika Waititi on his back <laughs> and says, "Let's go." This is a little different, but Alan Kim still delivers a great performance, especially when you think about how young he is. The other thing I want to talk about is this is a passion project. It really is, and I think that's overlooked. Um, director Lee Isaac Chung was also the writer for this film. This is about his life. He um, endured this situation. His family moved to Arkansas, and all the struggles, all the triumphs that came with that. And this is his story reliving about what happened in his life. And to me, that's always powerful. You know, we can sit here and say it wasn't as engaging as we would have liked. It was a little disappointing. Sure, what, however you feel about it, it's really awesome to see someone say, I lived this, and it's my story, and I want to tell my life's journey, my life story. Um, and I, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know that that it was. Um, I hope, and, and we know that there's a moment with a cup that is in this movie that was was hilarious. I hope that that was real. That's all I'm going to say. I hope that that was real. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, there were some uh there were some powerful moments throughout the film that I really enjoyed. It, it was a uh, it was really strong. It's just and and I have to point out uh this is a beautiful looking film. Like yeah. uh gorgeous gorgeous looking film and that final frame i think is is probably one of my favorites when they're actually never mind i can't talk about that but <laughs> that final frame is amazing good call phoenix way to way to restrict I yourself gonna, i was gonna say that that is the one thing that that really did capture me about this film is is that the use of the camera and the colors and just how everything was just kind of put together from a cinematography perspective, was was fantastic. Whether it be their house, whether it be you know the town or their jobs or the you know the fields, like it was just all like gorgeous. 
Um, I, I do want to touch on something that Phoenix and Nick talked about with the pacing. You know, Nick and I had a conversation about this, and I actually ended up downgrading from where I originally placed this movie. It It's slow. You know, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you are not someone that, that necessarily loves slow movies, you watch movies to be entertained, not to see journeys and, and things like that. Um, this is not going to be for you. This is a slow burn. It's two hours, and I would say you definitely feel like it's two hours. Um, there's yeah, not a ton sure. of substance. There's not a ton of substance here. Of course, there are some great moments. Of course there are. But for many, those may feel too few and far between for how unevenly paced this is. And I think that's a good way to describe it is unevenly paced. It's unengaging. Um, I don't have a problem with the subtitles. Obviously, that's that's not an issue whatsoever. It's just the story. It it moves at a slow pace, and you have to know that going in. We did not know that, obviously, because not a lot of people have seen this movie. I feel like had we known how slow it moves, maybe we would have liked it a little bit better. But nonetheless, I want to compare this movie to a movie that I think is similar, and that's The Florida Project. The reason that and, and Phoenix, you've seen it, correct? Yes. Okay. Can you back me up in, in the fact that they're similar? Uh, I would agree that they are similar, both in pacing and in story. It's basically just a, a isolated look at this group of people and their life during this mm-hmm. time, and that's that's essentially where I think they they definitely uh, are similar. Although I would argue that. Florida Project has a bit more uh, substance, substance, and a bit more engagement with the characters than uh, I think. One hundred percent. Than I so, think uh, Minari does. So I just need you to back me up on that one. So, yeah. yeah, Phoenix really described it well when he said an isolated period of time in someone's life, mm-hmm. where we talk about one night in Miami or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which we're, you know we'll talk about one night in Miami here in a little bit. That is in. And one night, one day where a specific thing happened, a specific action, a specific timetable, time frame, something like that. Well, with the Florida Project, with Minari, there's not a specific event occurring. It's more so let's follow this group, let's follow this family, let's follow this person and watch them live their lives. And for some, that can be difficult. We talked last week about Pieces of a Woman, and Pieces of a Woman does that, you know, after the opening scene. And we also talked about Patterson, and Patterson does that too. And there is a beauty to that. I think there's a beauty to that in the Florida Project. I also think the Florida Project handles it best out of any of these that I've seen. There's a certain beauty to to watching people live their lives like this. Um, But Minari just doesn't have enough engaging moments in between them to – to make it really stand out, unfortunately. But, you know, Phoenix and I have been talking for a while. I want to hear more from from Brandon and Nick. Yeah, I will say... um, Go ahead, Brandon. Okay, so I will say um, I kind of expected a slow burner because I was was literally just coming off of watching Nightcrawler. Well, no, Nightcrawler was really good. Patterson, I meant to say. I was just coming off of watching Patterson. I was just coming off of watching Pieces of a Woman. So I expected a slow burner. But it led to somewhere. It meant something, you know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much on it because uh, because of spoilers. But 
it actually leads to somewhere. Unlike some other films, like um, um, I'm thinking of ending things. So, um, oh, cut, cut the yeah, shit. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I will say this movie, it, even though it is a slow burner, it leads somewhere. And I liked the slow burner aspect of it because you, you're not just thrown into here, thrown into there. You're able to watch how this family progresses while, while they're built, trying to build their, rebuild their family that they have. Yeah, and I, I don't want to say too much without spoiling. Nate, Go ahead, Nate Nick. Put, it, put it really well with, with, with the comparison to Patterson and Pieces of Wood, both of which movies I gave two and a half stars I wasn't really that high on. I just don't think that the let's just show a life in a movie is just my cup of tea. I mean, it's not like I need to be entertained. I mean, I love Hateful Eight and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and both of those movies are are slow, but there's some payoff there. And while, you know, there is payoff here at the end of, of this film, it's just more of like watching somebody's life and a movie. There, there's a reason why we forget 80% of our dreams, and that's because nothing happens in them. They're just regular, regular life stuff, like simple everyday things. And that's just kind of me with this movie, is that it's just, like, this is just not my cup of tea when it comes to movies. Like, I just don't enjoy these types of movies, as I think, I think this what it boils down to, honestly. Yeah. I wanna, I, go go ahead. I was going to say, I want to I talk about one thing, though, and, and maybe this was just me, but they were kind of hinting at, at some things when it came to, like, uh, religion, and I was just kind of expecting something to happen that, that wasn't going to happen, um, like some off-the-rails kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if that was just me. I don't know if that was just because I just was enjoying it and I wanted to see something dynamic happen. But I was kind of expecting um, some off the rails like demon shit. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how deep we can get into that without talking spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. But no demon shit happens. That is <laughs> that we can say for certain. But yeah, yeah I, I I definitely vibe with the fact of this is a slow movie. We want some payoff and you were a little disappointed with how it paid off. Um, for me personally, I, I enjoyed the payoff for those of you listening. Of course, we're not going to spoil, but there is payoff in this film. There is a third act that is drastically different than the rest of the movie. Um, and, and for some people it worked for me, it did for some people it won't for Nick. It didn't. And there's no right or wrong answer. Um, it's just how the movie impacts each person. I think the third act does a great job with, with what they do, with what specifically happens. I think it works for the story. It just unfortunately is bogged down by 90 minutes of nothing beforehand. And I have to judge a movie based on the whole picture, not the last chapter. I do, I do want to say a few positive things about it. Like we touched on the cinematography, which I think is amazing. Uh, we also touched on the performances, but going back to those, uh, I just, I, 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 I have the same issue 
with uh, Stephen Young's performance that I had with uh, <clears throat> with uh, Riz Ahmed and Paul Racy in Sound of Metal. Um, it's a very internalized performance, and uh, those can be good, uh, but the ones that I gravitate towards are the more, uh, I get what's the word? Uh, yes, external performances. Uh, and I think in a year when you're when you have, uh, you know, Chadwick, Delroy, uh, Gary, Anthony, you know, it's going to be really hard. I mean, you could squeeze an internal performance into that five, but then you're looking at is it going to be Riz Ahmed or Stephen Young? And if if it's up to me, I would probably go with Riz Ahmed. But you know, but the, there are four other expressive performances in the film which I'm like kind of upset that they don't get as much praise or notoriety. Like we spoke on Yuri Han, who I think is amazing. Will Patton, who I think is probably the most, at least for the first 90 minutes, is probably the most interesting character in the entire movie. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting. Like Nick said, you did think that it was going somewhere in terms of religion, just because Patton's character is so expressive and so out there. Um, and it, it, it doesn't pay off that, but it, it pays off in a different way uh, that I think the writing uh, is incredibly strong in the way that it does pay off because we are sitting through this family life for, for much of the runtime. It seems kind of benign, but the payoff I think is super strong. Like it really kind of elevates the entire film just because the payoff is so strong. Uh, I also have to, praise the direction. I think Lee Isaac Chung does an amazing job directing this film. It's just really strong, uh, focused direction, really incredible, just sh the shots that he gets. I think it's a really strong looking film and it just has some really great performances in it. Even if overall I just wasn't taken by the film, I think it has really strong elements that I think are award worthy. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with it. And like Nathan said earlier, like, I think if they do eight or nine nominees, this could sneak in. I think if they do less, it, it probably won't make its way into the best picture conversation. Brandon. I, I really hope it makes its way to the best picture conversation, you know, because like it's, it's, it's rare. I, I know this isn't exactly a foreign film, but like films with like with that are mainly primarily with a foreign language. I, I, I like those films in my, in like the best picture list because just look at parasite parasite won best director. Uh, I think best screenplay. Yep. Um, yep. they, they won best picture uh, they won one more, I think, uh, editing or something. I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they won a lot of Oscars last year and it was much, very much well deserved. So I really hope Minari is in the Oscar is is in the Oscar lineup for this year. And that's a conversation we'll be having closer to Oscar time as far as what we would nominate versus what will actually get nominated. Right. And just off the top of my head, right? I threw a list together while you were talking about that. And purely off the top of my head, if I'm forgetting something ridiculously obvious, let it be known this is off the top of my head. Um, so I think there are four absolute locks. Like, um, you've heard me say this already. This show, I'm a big lock it in guy. Like, I think these are absolute locks for getting best picture noms. 
Trial of Chicago 7, Mank, Ma Rainey, and Nomadland. Some of us don't love some of those movies. Others <laughs> do love those movies. One we haven't seen yet. I think those are absolute locks. And then Soul is most likely going to get nominated. I'm just not comfortable putting it as a lock. The Father, Promising Young Woman. You know, we don't know about those two. Could those get Best Picture noms? The Five Bloods feels like it came out centuries ago. I don't know <laughs> if people have forgotten about that movie or what. But um, then you look at um, Minari and Sound of Metal and One Night in Miami, and there's a lot of gray area after you hit the four locks and most likely soul. Um, after those five, there's a lot of gray area. So I'm with you, Brandon. I hope that it does get nominated. I hope that happens. But I, it does. It, Every year, there are movies that get nominated that don't have a chance. Like, we just know it, right? <laughs> we just know. Like, like, like Knives Out, unfortunately, with... Oh, uh, God, please, please That stop. That movie, please that stop. movie deserved... Oh, that my movie God. We're talking about best, best more movies. than what it was nominated for, and it was snubbed for the... Oh, as, oh as my was God. Again. It was oh, snubbed. My God. It was snubbed. I, I can't wait Brian Johnson was snubbed. to get nominated for Best Picture. I can't oh, wait. Was what do you mean? 2019, first of all, 2019 was a historic year for movies. Yeah, it was. It was and it was while, while we all have that one movie we're not crazy about that got nominated. For V Ferrari. Uh, well, go ahead. And mine's, and mine's <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. I mean, you can't tell me Knives Out deserves to be in over those categories. I mean, come on. I mean, and I love Knives Out, but no. <laughs> exactly. Like, there are some movies that you just don't nominate. Like, that's kind of, I'm. I agree. Like Avengers Endgame should not have been nominated. I know there's a crowd that thinks it should have been. No, I'm in that should, crowd that thinks it should have been. It should not have been nominated. <laughs> um, regardless, we're going off on a tangent here, guys. I think that <laughs> I think Minari should be, but again, it just depends. If they take eight, uh, I don't know if it fits in with that eight. If they take nine, maybe. If they take six, if they take seven, I don't think it fits in. So I really, uh, so we can wrap this up. Cause we got to get on to our other movie. Uh, I want to hear everyone's rating for Minari. Uh, Brandon, we'll start with you. What <laughs> I, I, I gave this film a four star in my letterbox, and I think I'm gonna keep it there. Um, overall, this film was great. I can't really say much without dipping into spoilers. I keep saying that. Um, but yeah, overall, loved this film. It was great. The pacing was a little eh, but it led to somewhere and there were just some great moments and throughout the film. So yeah, definitely a four star for me. All right, Nick, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to just say clap it up for everybody. No spoilers. You're welcome. Phoenix. You'll have an easy editing life for this <laughs> section. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's a high two and a half. Um, I just can't in my, in my mind, put it over movies that I think deserve the three and, and I enjoyed a, a lot more. For me, it's it's a great cinematography film. It's a great uh, you know acting film. But just in the end, I just can't justify giving it three stars because of just how little I enjoyed it. So it's going to be two and a half. Nathan, what about you? It was originally four stars, but then Nick and I talked about it yesterday, and. You know, sometimes when you get talking about something, you just realize maybe I overrated this. Um, Nick uh, used this phrase a while back, and it's a phrase that 
I'm starting to love more and more. This is a movie that I appreciated a lot more than I enjoyed. It really is. Um, you know, I can look at the performances. I can look at the fact that it's a passion project from the director. And I can say, wow, that is just amazing that he was able to create a movie about his life. It, it, it's, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But I didn't enjoy it. And there, there's restaurants. That happens in everyday, everyday life. There's restaurants like that that you appreciate. Wow, I appreciate fine steakhouses, but I don't like steak. Things like that. So, um, I unfortunately, it's not going to be in my top 10 of the year, which is criminal because 2020 sucks. Um, <laughs> but it, not Ma Rainey's my number 10. Uncle Frank's my number 9. This is not as good as those two. Not even close, in, in my mind at least. So... I don't know. This might end up 12. It might end up 13. I have no idea. It's disappointing for sure because I know that a lot of people have not seen this movie yet. I get that. But the fact that it has, at this current point in time of recording, a 4-2 on Letterboxd and an overwhelming 4 stars, 4.5 stars, and 5 stars reviews, I don't get it, man. I just don't. (laughs) So it's a B-plus for me, 3.5 stars. All right. Um, yeah, I was in the four star camp as well. Uh, and, uh, and I do think it does have four star elements in it, but I just don't believe that story is as strong as I would have liked it to be. Um, but I do think the performances hold it up. That third act holds, holds it up. And I, and I agree with you. I appreciate this film a lot more than I enjoyed it. So it is a three and a half for me as well. Uh, but I would encourage anybody out there to check it out. Uh, I think, you know, if, if slow, slow burn films are your thing, you're definitely going to appreciate it. Um, I think that there's elements of this film worthy of enjoying and dissecting and appreciating. So that's where we're at with it. Three and a half for me, three and a half for Nathan, four stars for Brandon, and two and a half for Nick. That is a varied uh, uh, response that you got from Film Code. So take that as you will, and I hope you guys check out the movie when it drops next month. All right, we are going to move on to what's good. What's good, what's good, what's good. What has been good for you this week or the or in the past? What have you been watching? Nick, we'll start with you. What's been good for you, man? Yeah, I talked with uh, Nathan yesterday and just being with you pre-show about this. Um, the new limited series dropped on Netflix called uh, Night Stalker Serial Killer 80s. Uh, yeah, it was, it was took place in the 80s, talked about serial killers, um, true crime. So super interesting for me. It's four episodes around like 45, 50 minutes, and I binge the whole thing, watch every single episode four straight. So definitely recommend checking this out. It's, it's, a, it's very interesting to watch. Nice. All right, Brandon, what about you? What's been good? Um, I actually didn't get a chance to watch anything this week. Um, I went back to work on Wednesday and it was nonstop all week. So I unfortunately don't have anything for what's good this week. I'm sorry, guys. Well, that's cool. 
A lot of what I've been doing this week is re-watching things that I felt like I gave a poor rating to the first time, felt like I misjudged, things like that. Um, we were talking before about Blade Runner 2049. That's a movie I now love that I hated beforehand. But I'm going to give love to, to a movie that Phoenix, you and I spent a lot of time talking about a couple days ago, and that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I was bored by this movie the first time around. I was immature about it and i did not enjoy it for that reason but i knew i was wrong i knew i needed to give it a true rewatch and i did and i really enjoyed it i am still lower on it for some reason than a majority of people i don't know what that's about but i gave it four stars it's got a four four on letterbox it's on hulu it's great absolutely one of 2019's best and i'm glad i was wrong i'm glad you were wrong too <laughs> Sometimes it just takes a little maturity. Yes, uh, for me, actually, this is uh, this is going to be weird, but uh, one of the movies that I've been meaning to see and I finally got around to seeing it was uh, Godmothered on uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, it, it has like a 2.7 or, or something on Letterboxd. I don't get it because I actually really love this movie. I thought it was incredibly charming and and sweet and you know i didn't know it was a christmas film going in but you know what i'm saying it's a christmas film and it's it's about a fairy godmother and it's like cheesy as all hell but i just think the the characters make it work the story does more than uh just the gimmick and i really dug it i i thought it was really cool so uh that's been what's good for me and it stars uh jillian bell who you mo might recognize from uh, Stacy or Emily or you know Erica who runs a marathon. So yeah, uh, <laughs> so it's a great movie. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Shout out Stephanie runs a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been what's good from us guys. Uh, Godmother, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, nothing because Brandon's busy <laughs> and Night Stalker. So if you get a chance, check those things out, and uh, we're gonna move on to our discussion. Honest to God, though, I really think that we say the name blank blank runs a marathon more than anyone has ever said that <laughs> phrase. I think the people that worked on this movie didn't even say that the <laughs> title of it as often as we do. It's fun. It's fun. We're <laughs> technically, I guess, the biggest advocates for it based on how much we talk right, about right. it. <laughs> yeah, it's right. fun. They, they should uh, come sponsor our show. Yeah. <laughs> for... I, I, I'm actually curious how many episodes. What is this? Uh, like 33, 32, yeah, somewhere so in that right range. There. How many times have we mentioned Shirley Runs a Marathon? <laughs> since, since Phoenix has brought it up, because since it was like actually, 15 or something. I actually went back. We started on episode five. Five. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's it's wow. a fun little Easter egg for our listeners. I hope you don't cut this part out because <laughs> our listeners – you know, if, if you're a frequent listener to the show, it's it's like an Easter egg for you to listen to when we bring it up. So there it is. There it goes again. Nick and I weren't the ones to bring it up this time. Right. Nope. All, All right. right. So <laughs> we'll move on to our discussion. We are, uh, well, second review, I guess we could say. And uh, we are talking about One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs' victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. 
You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, sure thing, brother. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping start. <laughs> you all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. And you know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen, brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami, the champ! I swear we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free. We want the world. Safe to be ourselves. I told him. I told him. To think like we want. Speak now. Without having to answer to anybody for it. We have to be there for each other. Who's the greatest? You brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. Directed by Regina King, stars Eli Gore. Uh, oh God, I'm blanking on everyone's name. Uh, Ken Kingsley Benadire, Leslie Odom Jr., and Aldis Hodge. They play four icons: Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, uh, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, respectively. Uh, and this one night after Muhammad Ali won the world championship, and they spent the night together and they discuss you know, their role in the civil rights movement. And it's uh, adapted from a play written by Kent Powers, who also wrote and co-directed Soul this year. Um, and uh, it was it premiered on Amazon Prime, Love so, it. right? <laughs> it premiered on Amazon Prime. So real quick, first impressions, let's get those out of the way. Nick, what did you think of One Night in Miami? Yeah, so I really enjoyed this film. Um, if you guys know my movie taste, it's definitely a biopic, um, around this, this time period. Um, I, I love the, this movie and, and Nathan and I were talking about this. It's actually like this meeting actually happened. Like Sam Cooke, Cassius Clay, Flash Muhammad Ali, um, Malcolm X and Jim Brown. Like they actually met on this night in Miami. The story is made up, it's fictionalized, but just for the fact that this meeting actually happened, I think it's super cool. Um, and I definitely think, and I feel like I, I say this so much, is this film is just super relevant and uh, just uh, a great watch. Nathan, what about you? What'd you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. If, if 2020 was anything, it was creating movies that were relevant to today. And that's crazy because, 
you talk about the five bloods, my Rainey's black bottom trial of the Chicago seven, one night in Miami. Those are just four off the top of my head. I know there's more. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, so I love that this movie was made, that it was fictitious, obviously, like Nick had talked about, but it's just so cool that this is even a thing because everyone's heard of these icons. Everyone's heard of these great activists, but to see them all on screen together, or at least their characters on screen together, it's, it's magical. It commands your attention. It is impactful. And more so than anything, before I even talk about what the movie does, just the fact that this is an idea and that it's a thing is powerful. And that idea alone makes this a wonderful movie for me before we even talk about what's on screen. Brandon, what'd you think? Um, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, for some reason, the entire like I knew we were gonna have Muhammad Ali, and for some reason throughout the whole film, I'm like, "Where's Muhammad Ali showing up? Like, <laughs> is he gonna fight this guy?" And then I'm like, and then I felt so freaking stupid when he's like, "I'm changing my name to Muhammad Ali." I'm like, "Oh, I'm a fucking idiot." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh wow. <laughs> But like Nathan said, it demands. It's a film that demands your attention. Honestly, it's it, it it's honestly like a film that keeps you invested the entire time. Because there's there's times where like things get heated and they get ready to almost fight, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait a second, and then and then things calm down, and then they realize they start talking more mature to each other, and it just overall progresses. And I really enjoy how it progresses, and I love how it ends too. Yeah. Um. I love this film. I really did. Um, and, I, and I think because, you know, growing up, uh, we've like, when I grew up, man, like we heard these stories practically every day. Like, uh, you know, Cassius Clay becoming Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, Sam Cooke re- uh, revealing a change gonna come on, on Johnny Carson. Like all of these historical moments, uh, and I think it's just crazy how they're tied into how they, uh, I should say, how they tied it into this one night and, you know, all of these moments happening seemingly, you know, right after it. And it's just such a great, like, fiction, like, it blows my mind. Like Nick said, this, this night actually happened, but what they portray is a fictionalized version of that night. Cause they may not have even had this conversation, but to put, all of that into this and then you know pair it with these actual historical moments i just think was really just so incredibly well done and uh i just dug this movie man i I really did i thought it was just spectacular well i i would love to have next word on this because i want to bring up something that's really important to me at least um we talk about fan casting all the time you know i i love fan casting it's something that i think about all the time i love seeing who is cast for what and whether I think it's a good fit, whether others think it's a good fit and things like that. But to cast these icons, absolute icons, I love, absolutely love that they went with people who are not huge names. Mm -hmm. You know, we know Leslie Odom because of Hamilton mostly and just because he's, he's a great voice talent. 
He is an actor on the rise. We talked about that when we did our Hamilton review a few months ago. And I know Eli Gore from Riverdale, Mm -hmm. but even he has such a minor role in Riverdale that um, he can get lost in it. But I didn't know who Kingsley Benadire was. And Aldous Hodge, sure, I've seen him in The Invisible Man. I saw that movie, but I, I, I didn't know his name. It was just more of a recognizable face. Um, I love, while we give so much respect to guys like Denzel Washington and Samuel L. Jackson and Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan, I'm glad that they went with people who are getting their start, who right now are, are relatively no names in Hollywood. I love that. I love that. And sure, maybe you might be listening and say Denzel and Samuel L. Jackson don't fit the time range. That's not my point. Like, yeah. they didn't say, oh, we need to cast Malcolm X. We get Jamie Foxx. And, right, and while that right. would have been so cool, I just love that they went with no names. And sure, I'm just beating a dead horse here, but <laughs> I love that. I love that. And and these are guys that were all incredible actors. I, I, I think Leslie Odom's the the best pure actor out of all of them, but all of them gave fantastic performances. All of them were extremely, extremely believable as their character. And man, I just, this, this is my favorite casting of 2020 more than Viola Davis and Ma Rainey, more than whomever you can think of. This is my favorite casting in 2020. These four guys right here. And, And not only that, but to go with people who historically look like these people in real life, I I mean, like, Muhammad Ali, like, I I mean, obviously, I I can't see the the cast list right now, but whoever played Cassius Clay, like, geez, like, are you related to, like, him? Because, I mean, seriously, like, uh, it just, it was crazy. And and I think it was perfect, uh, the start, how... We kind of got an, an inside glimpse on who everybody was. Like, we got some time with, with Sam Cooke, and we got some time with, with Cassius, and we got some time with, with Malcolm X. And, and I think the one that really stood out to me was Jim Brown, because he goes back to his hometown, and he's talking to this guy, and he's praising him up, you know, and he's like, oh, well, I got to go move some furniture in the house. And Jim Brown's like, oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm the best running back in the NFL. Like, I'm the face of my franchise. I'm big and I'm strong. Like, let let me come help you. And he's like, oh no, we we can't let you in here. And yeah. I'm like, wow, wow, <laughs> really, really. <laughs> that was uh, that was really kind of just a strong scene because it was like. It, it and it and it goes to a, a monologue that he says later, which I'm like, oh, like. By the way, most much of this movie is is very uh, dialogue heavy, um, yep. and you would think that that would get I don't know like excessive at some point. Maybe it would bog down the entire film or something. But everyone gets these super impressive monologues. And Jim Brown has one of the best, like, uh, of all of them. And, and that's crazy because, uh, like, there's so many good ones. But Jim Brown has one where he talks about, like, you know, how it feels to be this legendary athlete, and but also only to be seen that way and not to be seen as a full person, you know, with, with other goals. And that, that, to me, was just, it was incredibly impactful. 
on this Hodge, I think, you know, we talked about perfect casting. I think everybody was perfectly cast. But Aldis Hodge, I mean, Jim Brown is a is a Cleveland legend. You know what I'm saying? He's a Cleveland legend. And he he literally embodied that character. Now I've seen I've seen all this in The Invisible Man. He was also in Clemency. Um he's in a great movie that I loved, an independent film called Brian Banks. He's a fantastic actor. And what really got me was he changed his voice. Like you, you don't really notice it, it's very subtle, but Jim Brown has an extraordinarily deep voice. And Aldous Hodge, you know, he's, he's not like a, a light voice character, but like his voice isn't naturally that deep. So for him to change his voice and be able to do it, like not just, you know, talking, but like even yelling or screaming, you know what I'm saying? That he can still maintain that voice is just super impressive to me. So like, like I said, everybody stood out. Everybody had a great performance, but Aldis Hodge was probably the one that I loved the most. Well, and not only that, like Nick talked about them looking like that. Eli Gore is jacked, jacked to to play. <laughs> he was huge to play Cassius Clay. And not only that, like like I said, like I know him from Riverdale, and he has a very minor role in that series. But all the guys in Riverdale are supposed to play high schoolers, and they're all ridiculously jacked. And I've always been like, <laughs> that is so unrealistic. But it's funny because he, he he was made to play a young Cassius Clay. And then Aldous Hodge, it's exactly what you guys talked about, how he's like, oh, I'm as strong as an ox. I can help you move furniture around. He legitimately is huge as a person. <laughs> and you would think Jim Brown in NFL running back would be huge. But not only that, Sam Cooke. Yeah. A singer, a vocal talent. Who else would you want other than Leslie Odom Jr., who we praised for his singing in Hamilton. We praised for his acting ability. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It, it's almost like Regina King sat down with her writing team, her producers, whomever, and she was like, okay, for Sam Cooke, there's only one person in mind <laughs> that I want. There's one person that I think looks like Sam Cooke, can sing and do that icon justice and is a good actor on top of it all and that's leslie odom jr that's the only person i want i don't want to talk about <laughs> anyone else that's the only person i want i mean that is that is legitimately legitimately perfect casting because it's not like they cast someone that looks like him that's a good actor that can't sing or mm -hmm. that is a good actor and can sing but doesn't look anything like him right it's it, it's <laughs> it's crazy and i can go on about this Forever. And we haven't even talked about Kingsley Benadir as Malcolm oh, yeah. X. Maybe my favorite performance inside this movie. I just loved his his calming presence. And when he needed to get emotional, it was so believable. And Malcolm X, you know, we, we can talk about these icons and how influential they were. Malcolm X most likely was the most influential of them all. And Kingsley Benadir having to take on and fill in the shoes of the legendary Malcolm X. I just, I loved it. I loved it. So these four performances, and while everyone was great in this movie, I love that they went with young guys that rel are relatively unknown, and they all just absolutely kill it. I wish they could give Best Supporting Actor to so all the, of them. To the entire I wish cast. they could just give it to, <laughs> I wish they could just lump these four guys together and give them all best supporting actor. Unfortunately, that won't happen. But man, I mean, 
every time I've talked about this movie, I've talked about these castings. So um, I'll, I'll jump off that train for now, but I, as much as I've talked about it, even it, it, I still don't think it gets enough credit. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I will say that um, the guy that they casted for Malcolm X, he did a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, just the emotion he gives off when he sees his house burning down. He's like, it's a mixture of anger. It's a mixture, mixture of fear, mixture of sadness. Like, he gives off all three of those emotions all at once, and it just works. It's perfect. Yeah, there's... Yeah, there's and I, I think what makes this film so great and moving into the meat, really, of the story is everybody's different perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all right in their oh. own their own head. Um, they all do the thing that, that's right to them and, and to their... their following but i just think as, as together as they were that was the most interesting thing for me is because malcolm x had different views than sam cook and muhammad ali had different views than you know uh jim brown and, and all these guys just coming together like uh just really you know hashing out their views i hope that's what this meeting was like in real life because if it was like what a powerful room to be in yeah like all right i'm gonna make a comparison because i have to trash this movie um (laughs) so a movie that we watched earlier this year that is sort of similar to this was the boys in the band and um yeah and the boys in the band yes phoenix i could not agree with you more so like the boys in the band was also a play it was adapted to uh, as a movie and it was eight guys all in a room and the entire movie, they just attack and insinuate and uh, assault each other's character the entire movie. And I'm just like, but the th- the weird thing to me was that no one left. I was like, I was like, I don't I, like, I don't get it. I'm like, if you're being attacked and, and insulted so much for your character, like, there's no reason for you to stay. It's like, the door's not locked. Like, you can leave. Um, so that was the thing that, like, was killing me. Like, for much of One Night in Miami, I was like, is anybody ever going to leave? And then immediately as I thought that, they left. Or, like, there would be moments where they'd be like, yo, why are we still here? You know what I'm saying? They would at least bring it up. And I was like, thank you. Like, that's just so, like, obvious. Like, it's so obvious. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And then I love the fact that the movie doesn't take place entirely in that room. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, which, thank God. Yeah, which like was something I was worried about because I'm like, this is a great conversation. Don't get me wrong. These are fantastic conversations, philosophical differences that they're airing out. I think it's brilliant, but it's it's beginning to get cramped. And right at that moment, they go on the roof. Okay, cool. And they have a, they have a moment there. And then Sam Cooke leaves and Cassius follows him and they have a moment at the store. It's like, thank you for having more than one moment in this film that really sort of just gives them room to expand. So it's not as, you know, constricted to this one room. So I was like, thank God. It's suffocating. It's suffocating when it's all in one room. You know, we talked about, I couldn't agree with you more about the boys on the band and, and Brandon and Nick haven't seen it yet, but I, I could not agree with you more. Whether it was mostly in one setting or whether it was just this, the situation these characters were put in in both films, 
I was reminded of the boys in the band several times. Mm-hmm. And if they would have flipped release dates, we would have been watching the boys in the band and saying, I was remembering one my, night in Miami <laughs> several times. So it's not like one was copying the other or anything like that. It's just ridiculous similarities. But with everything the boys in the band does wrong, which Phoenix and I reviewed that episode a few months back, however you listen to this, you can find that episode as well. We enjoyed one night in Miami for all those reasons. So I'm with you as well. Yeah. I do want to talk about um, something other than the cast. Um, I really, yes, really. (laughs) Um, I, this still was not as engaging as I wanted it to be. Um, It is extremely dialogue centric of these four icons. And I definitely have so much respect for that. I have already talked about all that, but it, I, I wish this was 90 minutes for everything it was. Mm. I, I feel like the dialogue at some points could have been a little more engaging. You know, when they're talking about their roles in society and what they need to do and their different philosophies of how to approach things, that's all interesting, but it's not like that the whole time. Those are conversations that are broken up into smaller conversations. And some of those smaller conversations, I just felt like weren't as engaging and, Um, I'd be lying to you if I said I was glued to the screen the whole time. I I just wasn't. I have a ton of respect for this film. I have a ton of respect for the actors. I love Regina King for making this story. But at the end of the day, it it just wasn't as engaging as I would have liked. I'd have to disagree with you there. Okay. (laughs) Please, please enlighten me. Well, like, about it uh, being engaging, I talked about this earlier. It, It had me hooked the entire time. Like... Because, like, it was kind of a slow burner, but, like, I I wasn't falling asleep. I wasn't wanting to just turn it off and watch something else like I was with I'm Thinking of Ending Things. This was able – I was able to stay engaged with the film the entire (laughs) – Brandon, come up with a campaign. That's that's like another uh, Easter egg is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. (laughs) Brandon, Brandon, come up with a comparison other than I'm Thinking of Ending Things challenge. (laughs) Sorry. Pieces of a woman. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. There it is. <laughs> but you know, um, honestly, because like I, I, between the past couple movies we watched, Pieces of a Woman, we watched um, Jingle Jangle. Both of those films, I wanted to turn off twenty minutes <laughs> into the film. This had me hooked the whole the, the entire time. I'm glad I was able to sit through it. And I don't, like, I don't really think it's fair to compare this movie to Jingle Jangle. I mean, <laughs> Like, what what bar are we setting? Ter- I'm, I'm just talking about in terms of staying hooked to a movie. You We're know? setting the bar to, like, your toenail at that point. I mean, <laughs> of course it's going to pass the the toenail set bar as compared to a centimeter off the ground. I mean, come oh, on now. Man. I mean, You're not wrong. I mean, let's, yeah, com- no. let's compare this movie to Ma Rainey, like some, <laughs> some movies that it's actually similar to, not – Freaking jingle jangle. Jeez, I'm, I'm just gonna talking about jingle jangle myself off the roof. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, so <laughs> getting back to one night in Miami. Um like there's um there's several like ridiculous moments in this movie, but going back to I think one of the biggest dynamics was between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, 
where they're, you know, saying, obviously going after each other's uh, ideological preferences and, and, and strategy, you know, Sam Cooke is like, you know, I do my most of my work, you know, behind the scenes, right? Like, you know, nobody sees it, but like, I'm, I'm making moves. And I feel like, and, and Malcolm X is like, you know, way out more front, more militant. Um, and it was just interesting to see those two perspectives because there was never at a time where I was like, oh, I think Sam's right or, or I think Malcolm is right. I was always like, oh, they're both making really cogent points. And I'm just like, I don't even know which, which strategy I like best, but like, I think both work. And I just, it was interesting to see them argue because Malcolm's like, I need you to be more out front. And Sam's like, no, it works better if I'm doing my stuff, you know, behind the scenes. And it was interesting to see them come to that point where they realize like, there's a reason to do some things outward. Uh, and that's what eventually leads to Sam performing a change is going to come, which I think is is probably the the central climax of the film, and uh, is just an excellent way to deal with that that whole conversation. What did you guys think of that? Yeah, like I will say, the editing for that scene Talk about is great as well. <laughs> Talk about a what? Talk about a bop, man! <laughs> I was bumping to that song. Wow. No, okay. I, I mean, like. I think I think I think this is where I, like I mentioned earlier, it just becomes like super relevant because you can really compare this song to everything that we have seen this year. It's just extremely relevant, and, and it's kind of scary about how relevant it really is. Um, but I mean, like it's it was just the perfect cap because you know for 20, 15 minutes, Sam Cooke's getting attacked about how. He's not out there with his music. Some some white boy from from Missouri or Mississippi <laughs> or wherever he was from, Minnesota, could write a better song about you know racial injustice and and the trials and tribulations of, of the black community. And Sam Cooke, you know, did it um, and uh, perform that song in front of a probably a bunch of white people. That was just extremely powerful as a as an ending scene. That was just kind of like mic drop like in your face sort of thing yeah like okay i i um before nick talked about being a bop i was talking about um the uh the editing in this scene because it, it shows off the it, sh it while the song's progressing it shows off muhammad ali shows off malcolm x and and how their stories are progressing and how they're going against um uh, how they're dealing with uh, the whole civil rights movement like muhammad ali is like um declaring that he's um muslim religion now and he's changing his name to muhammad ali and malcolm x is getting his house burned down having to live in a hotel and he's pulling he's writing his autobiography and then it cuts and then like <clears throat> you completely forget that he's singing because of everything that's happening and then it cuts back to him singing i'm like oh yeah he is singing a song because i completely forgot about that because mm -hmm. it because like you're just so focused on what what's happening to these other characters yeah big shout out to the editing uh y'all know like if your editing is bad it's gonna take me out of the movie entirely so like the editing in this know, i think yeah yeah the editing in this was was really like top notch because 
it was it was just so smooth. That's that's the that I think when it comes to editing, that's probably the thing that all editors uh, strive for is just smoothness. You know what I'm saying? Get me from the first frame to the last frame as smoothly as possible. And I think this was this was done extremely well. Also, need to shout out the production design. Like there was incredible work. There's a on this in in terms of just the look of it, the feel of it. There's a shot in particular. There's two shots, one of uh, Cassius Clay and uh, one of Malcolm X that just immediately shot out to me. They're single shot frames, beautifully done, just the way they have them framed in the shot with the production. It's great. It's it's a fantastic look. So like if you you spot that, you'll see it. Um, But yeah, those are just two, two things I had to point out. Yeah, and you know what? Um, when we did our episode on Ma Rainey, I had a predetermined score for that, and you guys talked me into upgrading it. Just like I said, sometimes you're talking about a movie, and you're like, "Wow, this is not as good as I am initially thought." And sometimes you're talking about a movie, and you're like, "Wow, this is better than <laughs> what I originally thought." And um, that happened with Ma Rainey, and it's gonna happen with this too. So, I mean, just talking about it officially like airing my appreciation and, and listening to your guys' appreciation for it is different than thinking about it in my own head. So I am going to upgrade this one, but I, I, again, just, just want to touch on the fact that this is even a thing. This, this movie's even a thing like Nick talked about. It was a night that happened, but they don't know what the conversations were actually like between these legends in this closed room. Um, and I feel like a lot of it was accurate. Obviously, we don't know. It's all speculation, but I think it was accurate. And the fact that Regina King did such a fantastic job directing this, man, this this was great. I, I'm so happy this is even a movie. This is something that you know can be taught in schools, in communities. This is not only a movie that may get nominated for Best Picture, may win some awards, but not only that is actually going to be powerful, impactful for for decades. Yeah, I yeah, think definitely. to yeah, I think to me it, it it definitely grew in my appreciation for it as well because there are I don't I don't know if you know what I'm saying awards consideration, sure, that'd be great. But to me, this is probably one of the most rewatchable films out of all the movies that we've watched uh this year. Um it's just and, and I think it has so many layers to it and so many stories to it. And it's just so perfectly cast and so well acted that I could just see myself watching this for fun. Like not just, you know, like for awards consideration, like, no, I could, I could watch this movie for fun. And that's, that's to me, like one of those, uh, one of the high marks of, of this film is that it's not only rewatchable and enjoyable, but like I can put this on, you know, randomly just to just to be like yo I, I dig I dig this movie that you know what I'm saying like most of the movies that I feel that way about don't end up winning uh awards but this one could and I still think it's it's probably one of the easiestly most enjoyable films that I've seen all year unless anybody else has anything are we ready for for sports yeah well Nathan talked about uh his changed views so let's hear from that first. Sure. So I was originally at a B plus, three and a half stars. 
because I had a problem with the the pacing. I did not have a um, engaging time watching this film, um, but I can look past that for all the reasons we talked about today. It was just fantastic. I already sung the praises of everything um, we talked about with the cast and everything like that. So this is going to be upgraded to a four star for me. And that's an A minus that will automatically based off of my ratings that I know that will automatically put it in the top five. So we'll see where it is in the top five, but nonetheless, um, yeah, the top five movie of the year so far and just so happy that this is thing. So happy they went with young actors. This was great. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give it a. Uh, I'm gonna have to follow up with Nathan and give it a four star as well. Um, I over, I just like overall enjoyed this film. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, and then, but yeah, it was great. The acting was great, as we keep mentioning. Um, the editing was fantastic. And it just kept me engaged. So definitely a four star. Um, it's my number one film of 2021 because it's the only film I've seen in 2021. <laughs> so even yeah. though it's a 2020 overall, release. loved it. <laughs> hmm. It's a 2020 it... release. Yeah, technically yes. Ah uh, man, <laughs> dang it! Don't be pulling it. Don't be pulling right. Phoenix on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going to rank that in 2020 films now, but because I haven't even ranked um, pieces of a woman. So, but yeah, I love this film. It was great. So, definitely four star for me. Nick? I was going to say, I got to echo these two guys. Even Nathan and I talked about uh, how we both agreed on, on the three and a half star rating, but I think just the appreciation for this film, the legend, the casting, the the real life conversations, and of course the ending just are such a a, a great great make it a great film. So it's, it's going to be four stars, a minus for me as well. Yeah, uh, we are all in the same boat. Uh, this is definitely probably the easiest four star I've ever given. Um, it's just it's so entertaining of a film. Like I said, I could rewatch this right now. Like it's it's that enjoyable. Um, it'll be hard to rank this because I do have a lot of four star films, but I think this is definitely in my top ten for 2020. Uh, so there you have it, four stars all around for one night in Miami. Excellent, excellent film, and uh, I hope you guys get a chance to check it out. And please let us know your thoughts on One Night in Miami. And Minari, when you get the chance, you can always find us at Film Code Pod on Twitter and leave us your comments and your thoughts on the movies that we talk about. So we are going to move on to Film Code itself. the code word this week please remind everyone what your code word was and all of your clues please <clears throat> okay the code word was pie from the year 2000 2010 lead actor has heavy rumors circulating a little extra hint is that it's an emo character and it involved a very cringeworthy dance sequence 
<laughs> so oh. any takers? <laughs> All right. So uh, Nathan leads. So obviously he will go last. Uh, As it should be. Thank you. Right. Uh, that means uh, I guess your first meeting. that means I'm first. So uh, uh, I, I hate it when Brandon gives cold words because it seems so obvious and then it's and then the answer probably is not so um i i went with the obvious i was thinking pie i went with the american pie series of films there's about seven of them well like i think three of them fit into the time frame maybe more uh so i don't know but i'm going with american wedding uh of the american pie series i i believe the emo character is uh, I can't even remember his name, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I believe he's the emo character. I remember the cringe dance sequence in that movie. There are several of them, but that's definitely the one that sticks out. And uh, that's that's what I got. American Wedding. Nathan. Yeah, I was gonna say, oh no, uh, Nick, 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 Nick. I'm, yeah, I was gonna say uh, echoing that. My, my first instinct was to go to American Pie. I didn't know how many there were. I've never seen any of them. Um, so when I came across the wedding one, uh, you know, there's dancing, obviously, at weddings. And uh, unlike Phoenix, who remembers it, I've never seen it. So I can only guess that there's a cringe dance at the end. Uh, I don't have, like, my notes in front of me since I'm driving, but uh, I don't remember the character's name either or who it is so we can we can only hope <laughs> nathan well as usual with me um even if i get this wrong i at least feel like i met the criteria for the clues and that makes me happy enough um so if it if this isn't it i'm at least happy that i i, I found answers to the clues so i'm good with that um this was hard like I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I think this is maybe the hardest one we've ever done. Um, and if it's an obvious answer, then I mean, f us, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, this this was tough. It really was. Usually, there's something to there's one clue to really pull from. But at least for me personally, I couldn't find a one singular clue to really pull from. I have not seen this movie, so I do not know if there's a cringe dance scene. I'm not sure. I can't speak to that because I haven't seen it, but it does fit all the other clues. And this is so out of left field. So I hope it's right because that would just be great. I'm going with uh, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Nice. Which oh, is a Tim that Burton makes movie. Makes perfect sense now. <laughs> it's a Tim Burton movie. It stars Johnny Depp, who has a ton of uh, rumors circulating, negative rumors about his dismissal from. I think it's WB, at least with the Fantastic Beasts franchise, um, his dismissal with everything going on in there. I'm not too familiar with that storyline, but I know he's got a lot of rumors circulating. And then you said emo character. Um, no disrespect to emos out there, but this looks pretty emo. Um, Tim Burton is the director, so you know there's about to be some emo stuff going on. And yeah, like I said, I, I don't know where cringe dance scene comes in i don't know it's johnny depp there could potentially be some cringe going on and when i searched up movies that involve pie this did come up so i'm sure there's a pie scene in it so like i yeah. said if this isn't it if this isn't it that's fine i'm happy that i even got 
got some of these uh, correct. So Sweeney Todd, the Demon of Barber, <clears throat> Fleet Street. That's mine. I am so okay. mad because I love that movie and I really should have thought of that one. And I bet you that's correct because that's ridiculous. I, I'm going to say huge props to you all for doing your research. Mm-hmm. However, you guys are all wrong. Swear. <laughs> right, hand to God, right hand to God. It's Spider-Man 3. <laughs> you picked a movie? Oh, 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 Spider-Man 3, the original. Okay. I was like, you picked a movie that's not even out yet? <laughs> There's a pie scene where James Franco eats pie. How's the pie? So good. Seriously. The lead actor, <laughs> Tobey Maguire, has heavy rumors circulating that he's in the new film. Right. The new Spider-Man film. And he's emo in the film because yeah. of the yeah. Venom. Yeah, he is. And the cringeworthy dance scene multiple times in that film when he's dancing oh, on the yeah. street and yeah. then he's da- he's dancing <laughs> to impress MJ. Yeah. So I will gladly I take that point. I can't believe we... Uh... Wow. <laughs> I can't believe I we didn't like, do that. I was like, damn, Nathan really got it again because that sounds great. Yeah, that's perfect because, like, uh, Sweeney Todd, like, uh, the woman that he works with, is she makes meat pies. So, like, that's why I thought, like, oh, oh I would be perfect. Johnny Depp is emo and everything he's in. Like, like that that fit perfectly. So I was like, I was for sure Nathan had that. So I'm glad he, he didn't. But I knew I knew it was going to be one of those things where it's like one scene involves a pie. How, like, that, that just, I knew that was going to be it. It was freaking Brandon. Like, yeah, that's, that's I really, so, uh, I really. I really thought the cringeworthy dance scene would have given it away. <laughs> there are a lot of movies with cringeworthy dance scenes. All right. Yeah, like dad pants. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, Nathan still sits at eight. Thank goodness. Uh, Nick at five. Me at three. Brandon still at two. But Wait, it is. Move up a point. Right. No. It is my code word for next week. And I'm so happy that I actually have one. So. Oh, thank God. Yeah. So. Get out your pen and pad, gentlemen. <laughs> and let's take down say, these you'll clues. You'll drop it in the, the group chat later. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop it in the group chat later, too. But also, I'll give it to you now. So your code word is America. All right. Your code word is America. Your clues are 2010 to 2015. I like that gap. I like that gap. Yep. Uh, one of the actors in this movie has a movie coming out next year. Wow. Specific. Yeah. You say like next year is it Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. 2021. This year. I forget it. Okay. Yeah. okay. Has a movie are coming they out the, Are they year. the lead? I'm not telling you that. That's so <laughs> undescriptive. That's this third clue better be hella obvious. <laughs> that's that's some bullshit. No, you you don't get no clues. And uh, let's see, last clue. What did I say? America, 20, 2010 to fit twenty fifteen. Actor who has a movie coming out this year, and also involves basketball. There you go. All right. There we go. So. Well. I'll I'll extra us out because I'm about to to pull off at at the rest station. So uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Nick Spain. Still from yesterday, still got hella reviews to write, so be on the lookout for that. 
super excited that I could join this episode, talk these movies with these guys, even though I am driving in a car six hours away. So you guys took took 95 minutes out of the drive and made it seem like 30. So thank you guys. No problem, man. And have fun. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. See you, Nick. See you, Nick. And you guys can play along. Try to guess the film code this week at Film Code Pod. Nathan, let everybody know where they can find you, man. Yeah, you guys can find me on Letterboxd at Nathan Pig. Do a ton of vlogging over there. I log everything I watch. Let me know you're listening to the show. Would love to talk with you and maybe have you on the show. Who knows? You know, good things come to to those who say they're listeners of Film Code Pod. So, <laughs> also want to shout out our Twitter over on Twitter at Film Code Pod. Make sure you give us a follow. We do so much fun stuff to interact with you guys. Also, if this is your first time listening to us, go check out our other episodes. We do full-length episodes just like this. We've done huge 2020s, Tenant, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Trial of Chicago 7, Ma Rainey, Mank, as well as other classics like Get Out, The Social Network, Avengers Endgame, Inception. We have so much content. It You will find hours and hours of content for you, I promise. Even if there's a lot we have covered that is not for you, there's still hours of content for you. (laughs) We are also doing weekly reviews of WandaVision, our episodes one and two. And by the time you're listening to this, probably three are already out. So if you're a fan of WandaVision, if you're a fan of the MCU, keep up with our weekly reviews. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you, Brandon. It was another great Sunday talking movies with you. Yeah, man, definitely. It was great. It was great to be back. Hopefully to be back again next week. Um, I'm trying to figure out how work is going to go next week. So, yeah, I may or may not be on, but um, you guys can check me out at F-A-N-T-A-S-M-I-C Ears on uh, Letterboxd. It's Fantasmic Ears. I log my films. I review a couple things here and there that I watch. So definitely check me out over there. Let me know that you followed me through the po- for the for through listening to our podcast. I'll give you guys a follow back. Thank you guys again for listening. So, Phoenix wrap it up yep and my name is phoenix cloud and you guys can find me on twitter at imho reviews one that's the number one and on letterbox under pa cloudin uh and like nathan said follow the show at phil on at twitter one twitter at film code pod we'll see you guys next week thanks for listening we're out of here peace <laughs>